英語聞き流し10分間、名作リスニング、英語テキストと MP3 ダウンロード、その他の物語は、ホームページよりご利用いただけます。88thpp.com。88thpp.com。This companionship comforted him. His sad presentiments were turned into joyous ones. Seated on the bow, beside the aged peasant, who was smoking his pipe, beneath the beautiful starry heaven, in the midst of a group of singing peasants, he imagined to himself in his own mind a hundred times his arrival at Buenos Aires. He saw himself in a certain street, he found the shop, he flew to his cousin. How is my mother? Come, let us go at once. Let us go at once. They hurried on together, they ascended a staircase, a door opened. And here his mute soliloquy came to an end. His imagination was swallowed up in a feeling of inexpressible tenderness, which made him secretly pull forth the little medal that he wore on his neck and murmur his prayers as he kissed it. On the 27th day after their departure, they arrived. It was a beautiful, rosy May morning, when the steamer cast anchor in the immense river of the Plata, near the shore along which stretches the vast city of Buenos Aires, the capital of the Argentine Republic. This splendid weather seemed to him to be a good augury. He was beside himself with joy and impatience. His mother was only a few miles from him. In a few hours more, he would have seen her. He was in America, in the New World, and he had had the daring to come alone. The whole of that extremely long voyage now seemed to him to have passed in an instant. It seemed to him that he had flown hither in a dream, and that he had that moment waked. And he was so happy, that he hardly experienced any surprise or distress when he felt in his pockets and found only one of the two little heaps into which he had divided his little treasure, in order to be the more sure of not losing the whole of it. He had been robbed, he had only a few lira left, but what mattered that to him, when he was near his mother? With his bag in his hand, he descended, in company with many other Italians, to the tugboat which carried him within a short distance of the shore, clambered down from the tug into a boat which bore the name of Andrea Doria, was landed on the wharf, saluted his old Lombard friend, and directed his course, in long strides, towards the city. On arriving at the entrance of the first street, he stopped a man who was passing by. And begged him to show him in what direction he should go in order to reach the street of Los Artes. He chanced to have stopped an Italian workingman. The latter surveyed him with curiosity and inquired if he knew how to read. The lad nodded, yes. Well, then, said the laborer, pointing to the street from which he had just emerged, keep straight on through there, reading the names of all the streets on the corners, you will end by finding the one you want. The boy thanked him and turned into the street which opened before him. It was a straight and endless but narrow street, bordered by low white houses, which looked like so many little villas, filled with people, with carriages, with carts which made a deafening noise, here and there floated enormous banners of various hues, with announcements as to the departure of steamers for strange cities inscribed upon them in large letters. At every little distance along the street, on the right and left, he perceived two other streets which ran straight away as far as he could see, also bordered by low white houses, filled with people and vehicles. And bounded at their extremity by the level line of the measureless plains of America, like the horizon at sea. The city seemed infinite to him, it seemed to him that he might wander for days or weeks, seeing other streets like these, on one hand and on the other, and that all America must be covered with them. He looked attentively at the names of the streets, strange names which cost him an effort to read. At every fresh street, he felt his heart beat, at the thought that it was the one he was in search of. He stared at all the women, with the thought that he might meet his mother. He caught sight of one in front of him who made his blood leap, he overtook her, she was a negro. And accelerating his pace, he walked on and on. On arriving at the cross street, he read, and stood as though rooted to the sidewalk. 
It was the Street del Los Artes. He turned into it, and saw the number 117, his cousin's shop was number 175. He quickened his pace still more, and almost ran, at number 171 he had to pause to regain his breath. And he said to himself, Oh my mother! My mother! It is really true that I shall see you in another moment. He ran on, he arrived at a little haberdasher's shop. This was it. He stepped up close to it. He saw a woman with grey hair and spectacles. What do you want, a boy? She asked him in Spanish. Is not this, said the boy, making an effort to utter a sound, the shop of Francesco Morelli? Francesco Morelli is dead, replied the woman in Italian. The boy felt as though he had received a blow on his breast. When did he die? Eh? Quite a while ago, replied the woman. Months ago. His affairs were in a bad state, and he ran away. They say he went to Bahia Blanca, very far from here. And he died just after he reached there. The shop is mine. The boy turned pale. Then he said quickly, Morelli knew my mother, my mother who was at service with Signor Mequines. He alone could tell me where she is. I have come to America to find my mother. Morelli sent her our letters. I must find my mother. Poor boy, said the woman, I don't know. I can ask the boy in the courtyard. He knew the young man who did Morelli's errands. He may be able to tell us something. She went to the end of the shop and called the lad, who came instantly. Tell me, asked the shopwoman, do you remember whether Morelli's young man went occasionally to carry letters to a woman in service, in the house of the son of the country? To Signor Mequines, replied the lad, yes, Signora, sometimes he did. At the end of the street del Los Artes. Ah. Thanks, Signora, cried Marco. Tell me the number, don't you know it? Send someone with me, come with me instantly, my boy, I have still a few soldi. And he said this with so much warmth, that without waiting for the woman to request him, the boy replied, come, and at once set out at a rapid pace. They proceeded almost at a run, without uttering a word, to the end of the extremely long street, made their way into the entrance of a little white house, and halted in front of a handsome iron gate, through which they could see a small yard, filled with vases of flowers. Marco gave a tug at the bell. A young lady made her appearance. The Mequines family lives here, does it not? demanded the lad anxiously. They did live here, replied the young lady, pronouncing her Italian in Spanish fashion. Now we, the Zabaios, live here. And where have the Mequines gone? asked Marco, his heart palpitating. They have gone to Cordova. Cordova, exclaimed Marco. Where is Cordova? And the person whom they had in their service? The woman, my mother. Their servant was my mother. Have they taken my mother away, too? The young lady looked at him and said, I do not know. Perhaps my father may know, for he knew them when they went away. Wait a moment. She ran away, and soon returned with her father, a tall gentleman, with a grey beard. He looked intently for a minute at the sympathetic type of a little Genoese sailor, with his golden hair and at his aquiline nose, and asked him in broken Italian, Is your mother a Genoese? Marco replied that she was. Well then, the Genoese maid went with them, that I know for certain. And where have they gone? To Cordova, a city. The boy gave vent to a sigh, then he said with resignation, then I will go to Cordova. Ah, poor child, exclaimed the gentleman in Spanish, poor boy. Cordova is hundreds of miles from here. Marco turned as white as a corpse, and clung with one hand to the railings. Let us see, let us see, said the gentleman moved to pity, and opening the door, come inside a moment, let us see if anything can be done. He sat down, gave the boy a seat, and made him tell his story, 
listened to it very attentively, meditated a little, then said resolutely, you have no money, have you? I still have some, a little, answered Marco. The gentleman reflected for five minutes more, then seated himself at a desk, wrote a letter, sealed it, and handing it to the boy, he said to him. Listen to me, little Italian. Take this letter to Boca. That is a little city which is half Genoese, and lies two hours' journey from here. Anyone will be able to show you the road. Go there and find the gentleman to whom this letter is addressed, and whom everyone knows. Carry the letter to him. He will send you off to the town of Rosario tomorrow, and will recommend you to someone there, who will think out a way of enabling you to pursue your journey to Cordova, where you will find the Mequine's family and your mother. In the meanwhile, take this. And he placed in his hand a few lira. Go, and keep up your courage, you will find fellow countrymen of yours in every direction, and you will not be deserted. Adios. The boy said, thanks, without finding any other words to express himself, went out with his bag, and having taken leave of his little guide, he set out slowly in the direction of Boca, filled with sorrow and amazement, across that great and noisy town. Thank you.